0: Hey, good afternoon, everyone. This is Dan R. from Jacksonville, Florida. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. I don't necessarily believe in living amends. I think they have to be absolutely deliberate, and I think that they have to be certainly done on purpose. For me, a lot of it was going back to my family and, you know, sitting down with them and having that discussion like, to talk, like it talks about in the big book. You know, in the family afterwards, where we have to sit down and kind of go through the past and look at where we are and what's going to be different. And unlike what Bill is doing here, regardless of the conditions, you know, the behavior was mine. Uh, certainly others had their part, but I can't do anything about that. And so for me, it was really that once I got to that place, it was really taking that hard look at what I did and how can I correct that.
1: Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. My name is Michael Lynn from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania.
2: And I'm Lee McGinnis from Leesburg, Virginia.
1: As members of the recovery community, we created this podcast as a way to provide experience, strength, and hope through the lens of the Daily Reflection book. Each day, we interview members of the recovery community in the hope that their experience may provide inspiration.
2: We value inclusion and diversity, and we really want to provide a platform for all the voices of recovery. We aren't affiliated with any 12-step or recovery program, but you may hear these mentioned throughout the course of an interview.
1: Hey, before we get to the show, I'd like to ask a favor. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, It'd be great if you could leave us a comment or a rating. This is going to do a couple of things. It's going to help us expand our reach and improve the show.
2: We hope you enjoyed this episode.
1: Hey, Lee, who's in the studio?
2: So today we have Dan R. He's from Jacksonville, Florida. It is May 17th, and he's here to share his experience, strength, and hope around today's daily reflection, which is, and forgive.
1: Well, fantastic. Well, Dan, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on the podcast.
0: Mike, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure being here with you and Lee. I'm really looking forward to our discussion.
1: Fantastic. Well, we get started in the same way every day. Dan, we ask the guests to read the daily reflection for the day. Would you help us get started?
0: Absolutely honored. So May 17th and forgive from the daily reflections. Under very trying conditions, I have had again and again to forgive others, also myself. As Bill sees it, page 268. Forgiveness of self and forgiveness of others are just two currents in the same river, both hindered or shut off completely by the dam of resentment. Once that dam is lifted, both currents can flow. The steps of AA allow me to see how resentment has built up and subsequently blocked off this flow in my life. The steps provide a way by which my resentments may by the grace of God, as I understand and be lifted. It is as a result of the resol- solution that I can find the necessary grace which enables me to forgive myself and others. Daily Reflection, May 17th.
2: Thank you for reading, Dan. Before we get started, what is your sobriety date?
0: So, my sobriety date is January 3rd, 1987.
2: Awesome. So, as you read this reflection, what comes up for you first? What comes to mind?
0: Well, I like how Bill, even in recovery, Bill is still not willing to always, it seems, own everything that's going on, you know, under trying circumstances, my resentments built up, you know, and that's, I think one of the things that makes this such an interesting reading for me is the idea of forgiveness of myself and others and how that's tied to resentments and how somehow I've got to put together the fact that forgiveness results in me being free not so much just the other person and I think that's what really this really kind of points out
1: so as you're thinking about um, forgiveness and in the context of recovery maybe talk a little bit about what brought you in what are you seeking forgiveness for
0: well I tell you you know I, I came from a dysfunctional family and I was pretty much the dysfunction in that family you know I started using drugs and alcohol whether it was nicotine alcohol or other chemicals you know in the tw- in the uh, fifth grade. And that progressed right on through until daily drinker, at, you know, throughout high school, got arrested several times. And I was not a good kid. I was a, I was, a, you know, I caused a lot of problems. I was always in trouble at school. I never took a book home in high school. You know, somehow managed to graduate anyways and went to the military. So my mom spent a lot of nights wondering where I was and who I was with and if I was OK. And so I think the biggest thing, you know, I don't necessarily believe in living amends. I think they have to be absolutely deliberate. And I think that they have to be certainly done on purpose. For me, a lot of it was going back to my family and, you know, sitting down with them and having that discussion like to talk, like it talks about in the big book, you know, in the family afterwards, where we have to sit down and kind of go through the past and look at where we are and what's going to be different. And unlike what Bill is doing here, regardless of the conditions, you know, the behavior was mine. Uh, Certainly others had their part, but I can't do anything about that. And so for me, it was really that once I got to that place, it was really taking that hard look at what I did and how can I correct that?
2: So Dan, just kind of doing some mental math and I'm not that great at it, but it seems to me like you were in your teens when you got sober. Is that right?
0: Man, you are so awesome. I was 20 when I came in. I'm 55 now. And so I'm 35 years sober. And uh, but that was very nice of you to say that. I was close. Um, I, the first time I was approached about recovery was when I was 19. I told the guy I was fine and didn't need his help. I appreciate it. It was very nice of him, but, you know, kindly butt out. And he did. And a year later, I was looking at three to five as a habitual offender and a dishonorable discharge from the Navy. So had I listened to him, who knows what would have happened. I got sober from that. Point and, you know, and I've been, I've been that way since, but that was very young when I came in.
2: I was kind of curious about what that looked like for you. A lot of young people are listening to this and maybe they're thinking they're too young to get sober or it's not that bad. And I'm just kind of curious what did your drinking and using look like that you felt the need to get sober at the year at the age of 20?
0: Well, Lee, one of the things that that is, I think, somewhat of a, I don't know, misgiven, and I'm sure it's the same now as it was then, you know, is this idea that you know you're somehow fortunate, or you know, isn't it great that you came in when you were young? And my answer to that was always no. You know, I wasn't excited about coming into recovery when I did. I've yet to meet the person that is. Most people. Don't want to come into recovery. They come into recovery at gunpoint, you know, whether it's a real or a fictitious gun, that's how they get here. In my case, it was really no different. You know, I, I, by the time I finished, I was kind of a round-the-clock drinker. If I hadn't been in the Navy, I'd have been homeless. You know, I was uh, completely incapable of having a relationship with anyone. And I was basically just a pariah. I can't imagine why anybody would put up with me. I could barely stand myself. You know, when I came into the rooms, you know i love that first part of the 12 and 12 that last paragraph in the 12 and 12 where it says you know under the lash of alcoholism we're driven to the doors of aa you know that that is my favorite line in all of our literature because that is me i chased that feeling of wanting that feeling right into the doors of alcoholics anonymous and all behind all the while alcohol was just that cracking that whip over me you know and so when i got to aa You know, it was a blessing and a curse because at 20 years old, everybody, you know, is out enjoying themselves, whatever that means. And I'm sitting around with a bunch of old people, you know, drinking coffee and talking about gratitude. And I thought, wow, this is this is the end. This is what the end looks like. But what happened was I found other young people like myself back then, you know, in 1987, there was only a handful of us, period. Now there's hundreds and hundreds of young people in recovery, you know, by young people, I mean, you know, late teens on up and certainly getting younger. You know, now there's lots of options for young people coming in. And I would say if you're done, you're done. Nobody comes in a, I think one drink shy. And I don't think anybody comes in one pill shy or one, you know, bag shy. I think we, we do it all we can do. And then we, we can't do no more. We show up. And, and I think that's probably true for all of us. So I would say if you're, if you're done, great. You know, if you're struggling and you're young, it's okay. There's a lot of young people around that are sober and reach out to some of us that have been here for a while. I mean, there's, whole organizations in AA, the young young, young people's AA groups, there's YPAW, YPG, whatever y'all call it up there in Philadelphia. And there's, you know, YPAW everywhere. So, you know, come on. One of the great lines and pages in the book is they stopped in time. And I think that's a really important page because it talks about the fact that the way my drinking and drugging looked might not be the way yours looked, but the feelings and the potential for harm was there. And so that's what I've got to remember is that, you know, could this be me, even though it may not be right now. And that's what I had to realize when I came in was I had never had a family, never had a, you know, career, didn't have any of those things to have lost them. But certainly I could identify with the trajectory that they were on and how I could end up being the same way at some point.
1: You know, it sounds like AA ruined your drinking. And at an early age, that can be a blessing and a curse. Sure. Yeah. So when I came in. I met some amazing people and these are people that I still associate with today. Talk to us about, you know, the people that you met, who, who's had a profound impact on your, on your life, not alone, not, not only on your recovery, but on your life.
0: That, that question is a great question, mainly because, you know, as somebody who spent their entire adult life in the recovery rooms, I don't have any history really outside of the rooms. So for me, I really learned how to do pretty much everything I know how to do today in the rooms. I started drinking and drugging, like I said, at a very young age, I started nicotine in the fifth grade, progressed very quickly to alcohol, about a sixth grade. And from there, it was all kinds of chemicals added in throughout high school. I didn't learn a lot of the primary social skills. How do you relate to others? You know, how do you interact with females or males if you're a female or, you know, whatever your thing is, but I didn't learn how to do that very well. I was incapable really of holding down a job. I could not, as the book talks about, you know, forming that meaningful partnership with another, I was really incapable of doing that. I couldn't manage money. I mean, I, I my hygiene was terrible. I mean, there was really just I was I was not a very good human. And I was a terrible citizen. When I came into AA, you know, really I had a lot of men around me and women too that helped me that didn't see me as a kid that was in the way. They saw me as a person that needed help. And the women in the rooms taught me how to be around women and how to treat them. And the men in the rooms taught me how to be around men and how to treat them. And I began to learn how to be a member of the community and how to be a dad and how to be a husband and how to be a employee and how to, I, I had no concept really of those you know, really basic human functions. And now I run a school for kids that have drug and alcohol problems. And, and we spent a lot of time on being adept socially. I was, you know, the kids talk about being socially retarded and that's a horrible word, but it really is very accurate. I mean, I, I was I was completely inept when it came to social interaction. I, I just I, I couldn't do it. And, and when I got sober, it was just I mean, I, hell, I couldn't sit through a meeting. I mean, a movie, you know, and the people in the rooms knew that they knew I didn't know that and they knew I couldn't do it. And they knew I didn't know that I couldn't do it. And so they just scooped me up and brought me to things, even though I thought it was dumb at the time. But when I got there, I realized why I was there with them, because had I been there with folks that were drinking and drugging, I'd have been right there with them because I would not have been able to handle that situation without the chemical.
2: I love that. One of the beautiful things about AA is just how there are a bunch of people hanging around, waiting to teach us how to fit into society. For sure. In a kind and loving way, usually, although sometimes it comes out kind of kind of harsh, but, but they mean well, what was it like going through the journey of the steps as a young person getting sober back then?
0: Well, you know, I think it's probably the same. I mean, it's funny. I always joke with people and say, look, I, you know, I, I love y'all that made it to your forties and fifties or whatever and was able to hang in there. Cause I don't know how you did it. Cause I was, I know some folks that are very successful that get, did all their successful stuff, got to where they're at while they were drinking. And I'm like, you know, I, man, I couldn't do my laundry. I was so messed up. And so when I came into the rooms, the steps, like a lot of the recovery process were very challenging to me. A lot of it because of my inability to see how, just like the reading today, how my little bit to me, a very short career in, of alcoholism uh, or active alcoholism, active drinking had, you know, I, I hadn't hurt nobody, which, you know, couldn't have been further from the truth. But, but if, if I listen to the stories of somebody that, you know, lost families and jobs and whatever, it'd be easy to identify myself, you know, to compare myself right out of the room. And so I struggled with that. I really struggled with that because I, you know, looked around the room and nobody looked like me. And I don't mean that. I mean, back then I had hair and I, you know, I had, you know, I actually had pretty nice hair at one time, Mike, not like yours, but I had, you know, pretty nice hair and I was a uh, much thinner and I have my members only jacket, my Don Johnson uh, Hawaiian shirt. And I was a guy. I was like, you know, out there doing the deal. The steps were kind of a, almost like something we just, you know, I just read them. You know, I was like, yeah, okay, 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 okay. Then I will tell you a couple of years into recovery, the thing happened to me that the book says. It says that have we left anything out? Because if we left anything out, it could be a problem later. And that's paraphrasing. But I was about two years sober, maybe three years sober. And I called my sponsor at 5 a.m. And I said, man, we got to meet right now. And he cleared his calendar and we went out and met. And there was some stuff I had not shared in my inventory that was just about ready to take me out. So, And it was back to that resentment and back to that, you know, in my case, the sex inventory and that fear inventory. And, you know, some stuff that happened when I was younger that had I had hung, held on to that was now coming out in a different way. That was putting me in a position to harm a lot of people. And uh, and it was fixing to take me out. And he did. He met with me and we got it out. And he didn't, he didn't tell me I was a terrible person or an idiot for not sharing it. He just said, Yeah, me too. And he gave me a hug. And you know, two grown burly old guys out there in the woods hugging each other at five, you know, six o'clock in the morning. You know, in the South, that doesn't happen a lot, but when it does, it's usually means something. And sure enough, we had a, a good cry. And I was, and from that point on, I was good. But man, when it says if you don't do that four step, you're gonna drink again. I think somehow they knew that, and boy that was I mean that was right there, I mean, I was right there,
1: yeah, it says it says right around the fifth step, have we tried to make mortar without sand? Have we skipped on the cement? Yeah, yeah, it's meaningful for sure, so you know i I did I'm one of those people i I did manage to get some success while I was out there drinking. I feel like i've exhausted, i i exhausted in my process of of getting to the rooms, I exhausted every possible. Means of recovery. And I'm curious, as a as a young person, getting sober with so many years, did you ever doubt? Did you ever consider perhaps that maybe you were just a young person? uh, And did you ever feel like you had a reservation about your drinking?
0: All the time. You know, one of the things, you know, one of the things that that I always joke about with Mike the guys, and it's funny because I get I still I get all the young people come to me. And I've been doing this a long time. And, and and I probably haven't really ever successfully sponsored anybody over 40 years old. And all the people I sponsor are young people. And, and anytime a young person comes in or anytime a family struggling with a kid in town, call Dan, right? I mean, that's just kind of my thing. And But I will tell you, you know, our head is always looking, my disease is always looking for a way to help me understand that I really don't have whatever this is. And so my head loves the one, well, you were just, you know, you were just young, you're a lot more mature now, you're more successful now, you you have you're smarter. Look, you've managed all these other things. Surely you could have a drink. Well, and and my response to that, back to that is, you know, what evidence do you have to support that theory? Because I have no evidence to support that my drinking doesn't end in anything but handcuffs. Because it that's that's how it ended every other time. You know, if I if I thought for a second, I'll tell you the one it gets me with, and the one that always It's always, always, and you know, and I work with a lot of kids. You know, in any given day, my school smells like a fine Colombian brush fire, and and my head will go, you know, you never had any problem smoking weed, and that's true. But what I don't know is if I smoke weed, will I have a handle in my hand by the end of the day? You know, and I know a lot of guys who've tried that, and and they come in saying, yeah, I tried that, you know, smoking, but it didn't work, or I tried whatever and it didn't work. You know, Bill and all the you know the founders. You know, bless their heart. You know, they held on to that idea right up to the end. You know, science may one day figure this out, but it hadn't yet. So right now we got to hang in there. You know, someday maybe we'll be able to do it, but not today. I don't know what I would do if, it, if somebody came out and said, hey, it's, you know, it's all good now. You know, you're fine. I don't know if I would drink because I haven't drank in so long. I don't think it would matter. But I will tell you, every once in a while, the one that gets me is, you know, you can smoke and it'd be all right. It's, it's that idea that, you know, my head has found. It knows it knows not to say, hey, let's go to the bar and drink because I would never that's that's not going to happen. But boy, you could smoke some weed or, oh, doesn't that smell good? Or, you know, hey, I wonder what they're doing over there. That's what it tries. Even 35 years in, it'll still try to sneak around and see if it can't catch me, you know, snapping.
2: I really appreciate your honesty on this, because I think. As alcoholics, like that probably is the thought that most of us have often, you know, maybe I was overreacting, you know, maybe I can do this other thing because it wasn't an issue. What's it like today? So the book tells us what we have is a daily reprieve. So you're talking about the disease of alcoholism whispering in your ear all the time.
0: All the time.
2: Um, and what we know is that the only thing that staves that off is a spiritual connection, is the program of recovery and the book tells us really it's a daily reprieve based on the maintenance of that spiritual condition so what does your recovery look like today because obviously this thought this insane thought creeps in and yet you're able to stave it off with the reality of the situation
0: yeah and it's funny because we you know a lot of us think the curse of time is this belief that i've somehow got this figured out every every once in a while we get the reminder where a guy would or or a gal with 30 plus years or, or whatever will, will relapse. And I will tell you the thought of that terrifies me for a lot of reasons, but mainly the reason that terrifies me is to me, the great lie that people in recovery tell themselves is if I drink, I know what will happen because I guarantee you the book tells me very clearly. I don't know what will happen. And I believe it because I, I have yet to meet the person that went back out and said, man, it went exactly the way I thought it would. And I've also yet to meet the person that came back and said, it went great. But we also have to believe that if everybody that came into AA stayed in AA, that AA would be the biggest organization in the world. So there has to be people that came in, turned things around, went back out, and they're fine. I mean, just statistically, that has to be the case. What I've got to remember is that my program today is not a program where I, I don't want anybody to think, Oh my gosh, this guy's got 35 years and he still thinks about drinking. That is not true. Like nothing could be, that could be further from the truth. I'm just saying when it does creep in, that's what it does. Like, Oh, you know, that might be kind of cool. And of course it would. It'd be great. I love smoking weed. I mean, I loved smoking weed. I, I mean, I, I loved it, but I know where that could lead me. So I don't do it. So the, but the, my program today looks like yoga. It looks like mass. It looks like, five mile walks with my dog. It looks like going to the gym. It looks like eating good food. It looks like making sure I see the doctor every year. That was like, I'm supposed to, it looks like taking care of me. You know, it looks like being a healthy whole human being. It looks like, you know, showing up on my job. It looks like showing up for the people that care about me and, 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 you know, and making that commitment every day to uh, try to keep my will out of the way of others and not uh, interfere with what they're trying to do or what their higher power wants them to do. You know, for me, I had to get out of this idea that there's a way to do this because there's, as Bill says, and reading out to very long ago, you know, it'd be the height of arrogance for us to believe we had the best way to do this. That's true. You know, there's lots of ways to get sober and stay sober. My way is certainly the 12 steps, has been for many, many years. And I love the rooms of recovery. And I go to two or three meetings a week, but because that's where my friends are. You know my 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 recovery program today, a meeting is just part of that. If I miss a meeting, I just miss the meeting. Big deal. There's lots of other things I'm doing for my recovery every day, to where that meeting is just a part of that. It's not the thing I do.
1: Beautiful. I love the humility in that. You know, AA doesn't have a monopoly on on how to get and stay sober. Uh, you know, I I want to ask you about advice. I know that you've kind of woven advice into this entire talk, and I love that. As we begin to wrap, do you have any specific advice for newcomers? Anything you'd like the the audience to to hear?
0: Yeah, I think for me, what I've learned a couple things is I did not get sober for myself. You know, I got sober for others. You know, I can I can I can track back through my recovery and see where, you know, everything I've done at any given time led me up to the point I was at at that given time, and it made me ready for that whatever that was that was put in front of me at that time. You know, I think me running a school today has everything to do with the fact, you know, I run a school day for kids with drug and alcohol problems. And that is because I was one of these kids in a regular high school where they put me in special ed and left me there for the whole four years of high school because they know what to do with me. But there were, there were adults there that got in my way, would not let me leave. And so today I try to be that for a kid, but I infuse that recovery piece in there with the staff and those kids know they're loved and they're cared about. And then I ain't gonna let them walk out the door and they know that and they stay and they get done. And so what I would tell anybody coming in is realize you're not getting sober for yourself. The other part of that is, I think that's very important for me is also no matter what happens, you do not have to pick up. You do not. If you think you do, the folks on this call have my number. Please call me because having been sober my whole adult life, I have gone through, I've had five stints, quadruple bypass. I've had three heart attacks. I had a sudden death incident. I died two years ago, almost three years ago now. I was gone for seven minutes. They revived me. I've been in, I've had three kids. I've been married and divorced twice. You know, nothing that's happened in my life, good or bad, can I blame my alcoholism for? Because I wasn't drinking. I was a lot of things. I was, some days I was, you know, just a really good, bad example. But I will tell you, as long as I don't pick up, then I got a chance. Because if I pick up, all bets are off. And so for me, no matter what else happens, regardless, anybody says, oh, well, you're not a good A, Hey, Well, you know what? Stay away from that person. That person's trying to kill you. If you didn't drink today, you're in the club. Regardless of what else you did, if you didn't pick up today, you're in the club. And so remember that. And if you think that you need to drink because of something that happened, raise your hand to meet and talk about it. Because i tell you, the curse of being around for a while is that you don't raise your hand and talk about it. And that's what kills us. It says in the book, Neil. The result was Neil until we let go. Absolutely. And a buddy of mine says, Neil is that guy that shoots himself after 20 years because he wouldn't raise his hand. You know what? And I tell you, if you've been around for a minute, don't let that be your curse. Raise your hand and say, man, it ain't working. I don't know what's going on, but this ain't working. I'm struggling because by doing that, you allow others to see that it's okay and you might save your own life. So I appreciate y'all so much tuning to speak with you today. I think this has been just a great experience for me and I hope that it's been a helpful, but regardless, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed myself.
2: Thank you so much for coming. And, uh, we thoroughly enjoyed ourselves as well. And we hope you'll come back.
0: Anytime. To do this love, again. To, love to do it anytime. For sure. Absolutely. Dan, thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks so much. Y'all take care.
1: Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find us online, you can follow us on Facebook at com slash groups slash daily reflection podcast. You can find us on Twitter at daily Reflector. You can read stories of recovery from our community at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. Please don't forget to give us a rating on your podcast app. We greatly appreciate it. Have a great day. This podcast produced by Lee McGinnis and Michael Lynn. Audio editing services by Jeff Bain.